often it's from the mistakes that we make if we're willing to learn from them and come together after them it's actually one of the greatest ways relationships grow i think fighting is very healthy i think conflict is very healthy because first of all then you know that both people care in the relationship we're both alive or both passionate about something we have opinions if they're just protecting their feelings then everything is going to be uncomfortable one of the reasons you're going through a challenge because there's an opening for your relationship to become even stronger at this point. One of the most important indications about whether you've repaired and more importantly whether your relationship is built on a foundation that can handle necessary conflict is how quickly you recover. It's okay to just be you, flaws and all. If you chose to marry a person you're in a long-term relationship, what's the point of the exercise? What's the point of going through all of that? If not even in this space or this place can you be yourself? Welcome to the Spiritually Hungry Podcast, episode 16. So... 16 already. Yes. So we are going to revisit the topic of relationships. That was very popular. And um, being that we've been married 24 years and happy, we feel excited to talk about this topic. Yes, I'm actually excited to spend some time with you talking about relationships in general. And a little bit about our own, I'm sure, will come in. And by the way, did you prepare a question? I always have questions. <laughs> no, no, no. A, qu a surprise question for me? I will be, will be surprised <laughs> when I figure that out. I think there is a no. I have one for you, but okay. Yeah, I You don't have to think about it now. Don't underestimate me, honey. Um, what I do want to start with, though, is something that I wrote in my book, Rethink Love. And, and by the way, if any one of our listeners has not yet gotten their copy of Rethink Love, I strongly recommend going to Amazon right away. You can pause the podcast, go to Amazon, order oh, the book, sweet. and then come back. Yep. Is it because you're in the book? Oh, am I in the book? <laughs> I don't <laughs> He's know. read it, right. Okay, so in an interview, a famous classical cellist who been playing at the highest level for 50 years remarked, it's strange, in 10 or 15 minutes, I could tell you everything I know about playing the instrument, but it would be of little use to you. It's taken me a lifetime to discover these things. No matter what I tell you, I have no doubt that it would take you a lifetime as well. Now, I don't claim to have mastered the art of love the way this musician has mastered the cello, but I do believe that some of the most important principles in life and love can be stated simply, much more so than putting them into practice. So I think I'm, that's always true. And it's interesting. I mean, just last night we, we had an, uh, an opportunity to talk to uh, many we of our students. We always have an opportunity to talk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Getting tired of my own voice. Really? No, uh, maybe I'm not. not. I'm not. Uh, I'm sure our listeners are not. And um, I was reflecting on a teaching that my father spoke about. And this is, again, uh, over 23 years ago. And uh, he was talking about the fact that really the whole purpose of a spiritual life and it's so easy to get distracted. But he said, the only purpose to be spiritual, the only purpose to follow any spiritual practice is to be an individual who is awakening more and more love in his or her life, in the lives of those around them. And when I shared that, and I know it's true for me, it's so easy to say that, it's so easy to, to hear that. But to live it consistently is, is probably the most difficult thing. It's work. It's absolutely and it's true. Like you said, I think it's true for absolutely anything that's important, any true life lesson. It's going to be something that's going to be relatively easy 
relatively simple to hear. To understand. To, and even to understand very and difficult to practice. Very, very difficult. One of my favorite, sorry. Well, no, I think that's why a lot of people don't do it. They're like, yeah, I know that. And they actually don't take it seriously enough. Yeah, one of my favorite Kabbalists, who's an Italian Kabbalist, He's, he wrote a whole book, a very fundamental and important book. And he writes in the introduction, Quite he says, uh, Moshe Chaim Lutzato. And he said, I am not going to write anything new that you don't know in this book. He said, but because you know it so well, you don't live it. And I think this is so true. And especially, again, as we, as we hope to be inspiring ourselves and our listeners to be growing in their relationship, growing both individually as a partner in the relationship and therefore hopefully growing their relationship. The idea of both focus and practice, what we know in our mind, what we feel in our heart and what we actually live can often be so distant from each other. A thousand percent. And there's a few things that I do want to talk about that I think will help because I think, you know, I've counseled a lot of couples and often I get more resistance from men in, in doing couples work right? They don't mind one-on-one, they enjoy that. But somehow when it's like the work of talking about things, they think it's going to be fighting, it's dredging up the past, and it's it's distinctly or, or, unpleasant, yeah. right? And, and they know it's going to be work, right? Yes, but I think that part of what I want to talk about today is, is how to make the work fun. But before I get to that, I want to share a secret with you. Oh, no I think... I don't think we have any secrets. I think it's going to be a secret to you, okay. um, but maybe to our listeners. <laughs> when I got married, I thought I was the perfect wife. Me too. <clears throat> and you still do. Yes, I do. <laughs> I'm a Virgo, and we usually aim for perfection. So seeing myself as less than accomplished in this area just wasn't an option because I'd done such an excellent job in finding the right person to spend my life with. Naturally, I was also right about what it meant to be a good wife. And I only realized how naive that was years later. Michael, when we first got married, did you think you were a great husband? In, in honest, I didn't think you gave it thought. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> I thought I was a good person, a spiritual person. But I think this is the biggest problem, is that most of us don't even ask that question. Am I a good husband? And the answer, of course, should be, how could I, like you've always said, how could I possibly be a great husband? I had never done this before. And if even if you're in a marriage for one year, well, I've only been doing this for a year, and who knows if I'm doing it well. Because I think it's tied into self-worth. Like, like you just said, I'm a good person. I'm a spiritual person. Anybody should be happy to have me. That doesn't make you a good husband. That Absolutely. wouldn't make somebody a good wife, right? So we make it complicated because it gets tied up to our in our identity somehow, right? And also, I think it's important to say, again, like you said, over 23 years, almost 24 years into our marriage, I don't think that I'm the perfect husband, and I hope uh, you do, but I don't. <laughs> and um, and I want to be a better husband tomorrow, and the next week, and the next month, and the next year. And I know that one of the ways to make sure that our relationship continues to thrive is if you're thinking that as well. Nobody in the world, and certainly neither of us, are perfect, and we're going to make mistakes. But, and I have found that often it's from the mistakes that we make, if we're willing to learn from them and come together after them, it's actually one of the greatest ways relationships grow. I think also we touched upon this idea in one of our talks this weekend, and that I think people get very excited at the beginning of things, at the inception of things, right? A new relationship, a new business, even the inception of a child, right? The idea of creating a child and they put a lot of effort. Let's say somebody had trouble conceiving and they, they went to every measure, IVF and infertility treatments. And then 
once they gave birth, it would be ludicrous to think they would stop caring or investing in the child, right? I think we understand that when or it even, comes... Or even, more important, investing in themselves as a parent to that child. Exactly, right? But we don't, for whatever reason, as a culture, we put a lot of emphasis... In the beginning. In the beginning of things. And then we don't go back and keep checking in with ourselves to, you know, why did we want the relationship? Why did we want the child or children? Why did we want this business? And because I wanted it so badly, am I making sure that I'm showing up as the best version of myself in all of these things that I have now created? Right? We tend to, it's like off our checklist, right? And we think that we'll just coast through now. The hard part, falsely we believe this, the hard part was finding it or creating it, not investing in it. I think it's so important. Again, I would ask, I would ask all of our listeners right now, to ask themselves the question, what am I doing, even if the, the marriage, the relationship is going swimmingly right now, what am I doing today to become a better husband, to become a better wife, to become a better spouse or partner? Because if you're not asking that question, then you're not. Forget it. You're Forget not doing it. it. Right. Forget it. I also think another thing that's interesting is that we grew up with shows that created a vivid picture in our minds of what relationships or marriages are, right? Because we didn't come up with these and we didn't find ourselves where we're at, right? This this investment or non-investment in relationships from nowhere. We are, everything's impressed upon us through our own experiences or things that we see or watch. So remember June Cleaver? No, I do not. Well, I don't either, but you knew the, you knew the show. <laughs> I've heard of it. Have yeah. you ever watched it? No, but, that's, <laughs> okay. but I knew that. But why do I know the show? For yeah. this exact reason. I knew that Mrs. Cleaver was just... By like, the way, you know, I grew up in Israel in the younger ages. And in Israel at the time, there was one TV channel. And if you were lucky, and we lived in Jerusalem at the time, you can get Jordanian television. They had a few more <laughs> of it. Mrs. Cleaver on <laughs> they, there. <laughs> they did not. I just remember, you know, very few, very few options of TV shows to watch. But yeah. <laughs> well, so maybe I shouldn't be having this conversation with you. Well, do you remember Mrs. Brady? Yes. Okay, yes. right? I think um, I started watching that once we moved here a little bit later. Yeah, I don't but think okay. that was on the Palestinian show either. <laughs> Jordanian, but yeah. And Mrs. Walton. Nope. It was like, leave it to Beaver. Beaver. I've heard of it. I haven't watched okay, it. Okay, my point is, that was one model of what a you know a house, a family, a home should look like. And then later, it was Peg Bundy. But by the way, again... Which oh, I'm Peg sure Bundy. you remember Peg Bundy. But I, but I, and I, also, I, but, Edith... Edith uh, Bunker. Oh, yes, yes. But but my question is, in many of those, it wasn't about the relationship between the husband and the wife, except by married with children. They I were think. smiling. And yes. when she when he came home from work, there was she was no outside work. waiting there was, for Was him. there any work on the relationship? And there was dinner cooked, and they were just so happy, and there was no challenge, no conflict, no issues, no infidelity. No, I mean, I, the list, should I keep going? And then later we saw the opposite in these other TV shows, right? Which were really in the 90s. That's what we grew up watching. The problem is that they, first, they both had different views of marriage, clearly. But both models set us up for failure, right? (laughs) One with standards too high and one with standards too low. There's never been, and, and by the way, we're talking about television, right? But there are, I don't think many have had healthy examples or role models, most likely not in their own home. And not even if you look at presidents or, right, this is not an area that is really explored in this way. Right. And therefore worked on, right, the work that must go into. And my point is that we have to throw away our misconceptions of what a relationship is in order to embrace what they can be, right? I think that people don't ever push that envelope of where can I take the relationship? How should it evolve? 
we're meant to love each other more every year, not just learn to tolerate each other, right? I think it's just to really break open what is it that you want from your relationship and what do you think is possible to achieve? Right. And I think, again, it goes back to the idea of, and again, I, I don't use the word work too much, but I think there's many people, and I think maybe men more than women, and I'm sure there's some science on this, that they don't even think too deeply about what they really, as long as everybody's happy, you know, on some level. Uh, but to go deeper, the question has to be, do I do I know my partner in a deeper way I don't know, this time? Couples really ask each other. I mean, I have asked you. You asked me, like, are you happy? And do they ask themselves, am I happy? I think it's more like no one's complaining and you should be happy because, you know, I love you and that's enough and you have everything provided for you or I provide this for you. I think the bar is way low. It's possible. I'm sure. I'm sure it's I'm sure that's true for many cases. So I, I think, again, with these models, we tend to believe that a successful relationship is one that is conflict-free and that is challenge-free and that if you really married your soulmate, it's fun, happy all the time. Again, another misconception, another cherished illusion that people have. If we look at couples who survived the instability of World War II, they had a great appreciation for each other, right? When people saw people dying every day and then they went home and and had their family, it would awaken greater appreciation and therefore investment in the relationship and and feeling more love. The same thing happened with the crisis of 9-11. It had the same effect, right? It created a sense of urgency that put the relationship on the higher list in terms of priorities, where usually it's not, right? We right. get busy with all the things that we're doing. And I know we've, we've shared this before, but that when we, when, when our second, second son Josh was born with Down syndrome, we went to visit families who had children with disabilities. And I think there's, there's a statistic, I don't remember the number exactly, but that when that happens, as with any type of new challenge that enters into a marriage, it either brings them... It's the, high. It's like over fifty. Right, who leads to divorce, or again leads them to come closer together, and I think that's the idea that every one of us in our relationship and in our individual lives, we're going to have challenges that come into our life, and the question is, are we conscious enough to make sure that through the challenges we're coming together, or if not, naturally. You know, entropy will lead any couple, especially when, once the challenges enter their relationship, to drift farther apart and eventually end in divorce. Well, I think the thing is most couples blame each other. It's the, it's the closest relationship you have, right? right? You live with each other, you share things, same space, finances for the most part. And so when something happens that's difficult or challenging, the first thing naturally you do is blame your partner. Like I tell the story in my book and it's kind of like, a very light version it's not a, a traumatic situation but everybody knows i don't like the dentist at all oh, i remember the story <laughs> and um you know because i feel like a failure they're like you know your gum is too yes. high here and your teeth and you're not cleaning it whatever the list is long and and i remember one incident i started shrinking in my chair and i was like oh um this must be Michael's fault. If he took better care of his teeth. <laughs> I like how creative you are with I, your blame. I really am. And of course, it's hilarious because it's not your fault. But it was what I found so interesting and fascinating. That was like my immediate response to the disappointing news of the state of my teeth. 
And I think that that is what couples do. And it, and it gets dangerous later in life, especially when couples might have regret about their choices or where they find themselves in life. And instead of saying, okay, what can I do differently or how can I change? They tend to put that all on their partner. If you had been a better partner, then I wouldn't be in the situation. Right. And again, I think also what happens is when anybody is going through stress, their tolerance for any you know, for things that they would tolerate before, you know, goes lower. And therefore, in a relate when your your closest relationship, you're much more likely to lash out, even for things that are insignificant. And certainly if you were not under stress, they wouldn't be bothering you. And I think one of the important lessons or ways to grow is to make sure to really ask yourself the question if you find yourself either fighting more or blaming more, whether you're actually verbalizing it or just thinking it, blaming a partner, is it really is that the truth or is that just my my reaction to stress that I'm going through? And also everybody has a choice, right? I think that in those moments when big things happen or even things that are smaller that are just disappointing, like a dentist visit, you have to stop and ask yourself, what am I choosing in this moment? Do I want to choose to blame my partner or blame something external? Do I want to choose to see what is first the opportunity for me or how can I actually grow from this? I mean, even when when Josh was born, really, it could have completely torn us apart. But instead, we leaned into each other and we became more vulnerable than we had ever been. There are parts of myself that I hadn't shown you. And it wasn't even conscious. I didn't consciously hide anything from you. But I had raw. It was a raw time. right? But I had the belief system before this had happened that and I again, it wasn't something that I was fully aware of, but that I am strong and I never need to rely on anybody because it's something that I adopted when I was younger. I survived my childhood by that. I, and I'll never be let down. I can only rely on myself. So when this happened with Josh, my first reaction, I think, was still that, right? And then I didn't have the choice because I was so fragile, so raw. And it was it only happened to us, right? So in that moment, I thought, okay, we're the only two people that Josh was born to. And although many offered empathy and many tried to be there, it happened to us. And in that moment, I chose you and I chose us. It was definitely a choice. It's not something that we, we got lucky with. And I think one of the, the other important element is that we don't realize how fragile a relationship is. And when I say fragile, again, even though so many marriages end in divorce, many of those marriages that don't end in divorce don't progress towards greater connection and a thriving relationship. And I think we either take for granted our partner or the, the marriage relationship itself. You know, and if we, I think it really starts with the self. I think that people don't realize how fragile individuals are. Most relationships, where it starts, where the breakdown begins, is that, well, we talked about ego many times, but also I think that people are not aware of the stories in their own head and the movies in their own head. And therefore, they can't articulate when something upsets them or hurts them or how they feel about a challenge. Or maybe they feel that it's their fault, but they don't want to admit it, right? There's all these unsaid things. Unless you make the choice to completely be vulnerable with one another, even though that's very uncomfortable, and choose the relationship, like you said, you know it's fragile, that is, right, but so I think that's where people really get stuck. That's an important point, right? So, so you're saying that if you're still trying, either because you're unaware of the, the the true nature of where your emotions are coming from, and how do you feel about what this horrible thing that just happened? So either your ego says, "Okay, I'm going to protect myself and hide it and not bring it and not be vulnerable in that way," then what you have to do is is in some way 
have conflict with your partner because I'm not willing to show or don't have a desire to show the true rawness of my emotions right now. So what do I have to do? I have to put up a wall. So in one way or another, that's going to manifest exactly as friction right. in, in their relationship. So the challenge is, right, then then this is, this really segues into the other topic I want to talk about, which is how do you handle conflict? I have a chapter in my book called Spiritual Sparring. I think fighting is very healthy. I think conflict is very healthy because, first of all, then you know that both people care in the relationship. We're both alive. We're both passionate about something. We have opinions. And I think, like you said, if they're just protecting their feelings and they're hurt or whatever it is, then everything is going to be uncomfortable. I didn't want to have a conversation about anything, right? They just avoid it and shut it off completely. And and I, what I would say to our listeners, and I know that we, again, not perfect, but we try to practice this, that the reality is that when you are raw uh, with your partner and really open up your emotions as much as you can, that actually brings you closer. There are very few things, I believe, and I know in, in practicality in our relationship that have brought us closer than those very difficult moments where either you or I have shared with the other really what we're feeling, like the the the, the, the either painful or very challenging emotional process that we're going through. Right, so, and the thing is, we just learned, I think, because again, it wasn't easy at the beginning. Over time, we learned how to do that. But I, yeah. And it was, I think about a lot of couples that I've, I've counseled, right? And and I've been the third person in the room where they're like screaming at each other and yelling. And from my perspective, I can see the hurt behind the words, right? I can see it on with each person and they just won't go there. And I try to get them there and sometimes I'm successful, sometimes I'm not, but I can see that wall they put up. They want the other person to recognize it in them. And if you loved me, you would you would know this about me. You would see this thing. But it's so naive and foolish because they don't even know it about themselves. They don't have access to that in a, in a very clear, strong way or they would be able to express that. Right, so, so what I would really you know, ask our listeners is to, and again, this is not comfortable, usually, but to take the opportunities when either if you're going through some challenge together or one of you is going through a challenge, to really take the opportunity to be as open and vulnerable as possible, because there are very few things and opportunities in a relationship to grow closer than being completely vulnerable with your, with your partner. And again, like I said, I, I know this in practice with, with, with you. And rather, again, because I think there is that fear, right? The ego says, you, know, you can't be this weak, right? We see vulnerability as weak to your partner. They, they, won't, they won't respect you like they did before and so on and so forth. There's so many excuses or even maybe sometimes valid reasons that we give to ourselves why I can't or I won't be. Right, I won't open up so completely. But by the way, I think there's a, a whole step before that. I really do believe that people expect the other person to read their minds and and know, like, if you really love me, you would know this about me. If you were really paying attention to all the other conversations or arguments I had, you, I wouldn't have to explain it to you. And I, I see this not just in romantic relations, but I even see this, like, I'm start, I, like I'll get a text from somebody and I'm like, okay, that's odd. And then like, okay, let me think about the bigger picture. Oh, that's not really about me. What is it that they're really not saying, right? It's not what they're saying. It's what they're not saying. And you can tell by the way they've said what they've said, right? So I think that that, and I see this with children also. Often they, they because they're just starting to be emotionally intelligent if they're raised in a home that has that kind of conversation. And it's really hard to find your voice and to advocate for yourself and say what you want and not have shame in it and speak up. And 
when they're not doing it, because I've seen this, this happen with some with some of our kids, and I'll say something and then they'll get a smile on their face and they're like, yeah, that's what I, I wanted you to know, or I was trying to tell you that. Now, by the way, they weren't saying anything with words. What were they trying to tell me that emotion, whether that feeling or that want with? I think a lot of things in relationships is one has a want, and they expect the other person to offer it and also know exactly what it is that they want. When, and it's when impossible. like you said, even sometimes they they themselves aren't even completely sure. aware. But they know what they're not getting and right. that's hurtful and painful. Right. I know that even with our arguments that we've had, and even now, you know, like this morning. Um, <laughs> this morning, let me remember. I was going to approach you with something that I thought maybe we would have a hard time hearing because it was about you. Oh, right. <laughs> I'm not going to go into the details of it. Let me think, let me think. Do you want me to remind you? No, 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 I remember. Okay. <laughs> that was scary for a moment. <clears throat> and, um, and I said, you know, I really need you to hear me right now. Just yeah, hear go me. into the details. And then, <laughs> hear me, and then I want to hear what you have to say about it. But I approach it with, this is what I'm going to offer. I, I do want to hear what you have to say, but I want to be fully heard as well. It's a style that we've created. We did not have this style. It was non-existent when we first got married. You were the silent type in an argument, which made me very, very angry. And I was a screamer because that's what I saw both of my parents do. That was the model I had. So we finally came together, I think, after Josh was born. So for the first like four or five years of our marriage, that's really our arguments were like that. And once we had Josh and we we came to, on the other side of that challenge, I remember we had the conversation that no argument or no um, disagreement is bigger than our commitment to one another, right? And from that place, we made that choice and we make that choice again and again. And, and I think then we started having the conversations like when we argue, this doesn't feel good. What are the ways we can do this so we'll both feel better? It's not gonna be great at first, but we started just like trying different things until we really found our style. Right. And and as it relates to challenges, I really would hope that we're able to awaken within our listeners almost an excitement as it relates to what can happen to their relationship while they're going through a challenge. Because, you know, life has the times when things are going smoothly, and then those challenges. There can be a challenge within the relationship or a challenge external to it that they're both experiencing, one of them is experiencing really on a deeper level, what the challenge is, is an opportunity to deepen the bonds of your relationship. And you might disregard the challenge, get through it, and then on to the next, and things go back to being smooth. But what you've actually lost is an opportunity to become stronger together. Closer. So, and by the way, friends. <laughs> right. Right. So I think, I would, what, what I want to say is I really think, and again, maybe more for men than for women, but certainly for women as well, when you're going through a challenge, nothing, we know nothing happens by coincidence. One of the reasons you're going through a challenge is because there's an opening for your relationship to become even stronger at this point. And if you just get through it without taking the opportunity to go deeper, then you really miss that opportunity. And, and, and you know, a year later, you might have needed that stronger bond that would have been created through that challenge had you really used it as an opportunity to come closer. By the way, if you don't take advantage of those moments, you're actually not really going to be satisfied in the relationship. You're not going to be happy with the relationship. I think it leads to boredom and distraction and looking kind of, you know, oh, they, that other couple seems happier. Maybe I could be happier with somebody else. I think you lose appreciation. I think those moments come up and not only 
I mean, they're necessary to the point of like, that is what's going to take your relationship to the next level and to the next level and to the next level. It's going to deepen the friendship, deepen the love, deepen the bond. And exactly. And I think it's important to realize, again, and often this is our reaction to what happens in life. Even if I have some consciousness of the fact that this is a moment in a challenge that can bring us closer, I just don't want to deal with it. It's too, too much now. Next one, right? But if you really understand that in life, you don't necessarily always get those same opportunities one after the other. And if you don't grab the opportunity, the next one might not come, or when the next one comes, you might not be ready. So to really be conscious of the joyful opportunity in the challenge, and that hopefully will give us the impetus to say, okay, even though it's not comfortable, I'm so busy with the challenge itself, I don't even have the, don't think I have the energy to invest now in coming closer with my, with my partner, grab the opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity of a challenge to bring you closer together and to bond you closer. As you're thinking, I just thought of this analogy. It's a little bit strange because my mind works in this way, but it's almost like wearing, you know, a pair of shoes that are too small, right? And you wear them day in and day out. And, you know, you complain every now and again, and then you get a blister, you get a callus, and then it gets bigger and bigger until you don't feel as much anymore. And you don't even notice that they're uncomfortable. You don't really enjoy the shoes so much, but you don't even have a desire for a different pair of shoes because your experience in wearing the shoes is not great or fun. And that's what you think. At some point, you actually start thinking that's what wearing shoes feels like for everybody. Exactly. And it's this like dull, numb existence, right? You just go along with it. Whereas if you said, okay, well, these shoes suck. I don't want to wear them anymore. They're tight. They're uncomfortable. Maybe I'll get them stretched or I'll cut a little part out of it or I'll cut the back out or maybe... I'll get get a new pair. (laughs) Well, maybe, maybe. Uh, But the point is, is that if you keep thinking about ways to make things better and to change them and not just accept mediocrity, then you're going to get more pleasure out of life. You're going to get more pleasure from your experiences. And you're also going to feel good about yourself. So obviously that analogy is relationships. And I think that you have to approach it that same way. All of those things, don't settle for something that's not great or that's not working. I'm not saying leave the relationship. I'm saying it's your responsibility and your birthright to be in a relationship that is nurturing and that is growing and that is evolving. It's your responsibility to offer that and also to receive it. I would say, and, and some of the saddest... Did you like my, my little cheese I know, story? That was really... Yeah, that was, really, that was great. I didn't know exactly where it was going. <laughs> I but. didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> Very good then. Um, but some of the saddest couples we meet are the ones that are just like, blah, right? They're together. They're not really fighting that much. You know, there isn't that much conflict, but they're just... It's They're not passionately in love and in a thriving relationship. They're not even just, they're just not enjoying themselves. And right. that trickles into every other aspect of your life, by the way. Right. So, so again, so, so that's, I think, the call here is to embrace the times of challenge, to really use it as a way to become vulnerable. And again, even though it's going to be uncomfortable and not what our ego would be excited about, to grab those opportunities. Because they're not coming coincidentally, and they're there, whether they're small or great, as an opportunity to deepen the relationship, which again leads to the idea of conflict. It's interesting. I was reading this a statistic that, that they in marriage, I think John Gottman thinks about speaks about this. There's two types of he says, and I have a little bit of a disagreement on this. That there's two types of conflict. That there's what he calls you know sort of solvable conflicts and those that are not solvable. And he said, which again, when I read the statistic, it's a little bit uh, surprising, that in his research, 
let me ask you, how, what percent of, of conflicts in marriage do you think are solvable? You're going to be wrong, so don't worry about it. I'm sure it's the exact opposite of what he said. I would say, I guess I'm looking at us at 90%. He probably said 10. No, he said 69% of of conflicts is not resolvable. Right. I 69%, knew his was really almost high, 70%, so, okay. which is crazy. No, I, I was going to say 10% is not. You're saying 60. Right. That's the same thing. You think almost 70% is not resolvable, meaning it's going to be a chronic conflict throughout their marriage, even even throughout good marriages, is what he was saying, Uh, and 30% are resolvable. So I have have a few thoughts on that, but but think about what that means as it relates to arguments and fighting. So So what's his solution then? Well, his solution, again, he says that you really, when you're choosing a partner, you're actually choosing the problems you're willing to live with. Oh, Which again, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. But I love John Gottman's work, yes. and I actually quote him a lot in my book. I, this this part, though, I don't agree with. Okay, neither do I. But but I want to talk about. So, like you said, fighting. I think fighting, and again, in our relationships, why are we rela- talking about winning? By the way, okay. Oh no no no! We're just talking about fighting and and discussing and being heard and finding new ways that you both can you know, be comfortable. And sometimes I also think that if, for instance, if something was more important to you than it was to me, and we're disagreeing about it, right? I think in those, in those times, if it's really matters more to you, I'd give in to you and and you do the same thing. If something's really more important to me, but it's not, you don't really want to do it. You don't see the value in it. And maybe we're having an argument about it. You'll, you'll agree and you'll go along with it. That's not, right. but, but, But I think, but the first thing, which is what you said is that if you're not arguing or having again, it doesn't have to be a yelling argument, although those are sometimes nice. <laughs> but <laughs> we've had we've had I think uh, some of those. But also, but just a, a, a passionate conversation about things you, you disagree about. It's, it, they could be important. They could be silly. Like you said, I think the saddest relationships are the ones where there is no disagreement, where there is no argument, because you just don't care. To, exactly to some degree, right? I, think, I forgot that years ago I heard you say tell the story. About a woman who, when they stopped arguing, she left. Do you, do you remember this ring any bell? Yes, yes. What, yes. what was this? Do you remember the story? Yeah, they used to fight all the time, and then uh, I think I asked them, like, "Well, how are things now?" And the husband said, "Oh, you know, it's good. We don't really fight anymore." And then I asked the wife, and she's like, "I don't really care." You know, right. so her, what he read as things are better because we don't fight. She was just. Figuring out her exit plan, which which it reminds me also we have a friend whose parent I don't want to be too specific so nobody can tell and talk about it, but whose, whose parents basically I asked him how is the marriage working and he said well they're living in two separate states so it's going pretty well, mm-hmm. but that's the idea I think the point is that that and I want to be careful how I say this but if you haven't had an argument with your partner in you know a few weeks that might not necessarily be a good sign, right? It might just be a sign that you're either not in each other's life enough or that you don't care enough about the relationship. Because if you're... But I think also you need to define what argument is. I think a lot of people have a hard time having... um, They don't like to have any confrontation. It doesn't need to be in that kind of way. It, It could be a very strong conversation about what you believe. It doesn't have to be yelling. And by the way, you should never go below the belt. There are rules to how to fight, but 
Right, but the, but what I'm saying is, tell me if you disagree, but I think you do agree, is that it's a sign actually of a healthy relationship. Yes. Of, of a healthy and thriving relationship. You're both growing and changing, and there are things that are coming up, maybe for the first time, maybe for the 50th time, that you don't want to just let go. Because you know that if you allow that conflict or, or disappointment or disagreement to be left untouched, what you're actually saying is that I've given up on a piece of this relationship. He or she is not going to see my side. They're not going to hear me. It's not even worth my effort to talk about. Let it go. Now, let it go might be the right thing, but sometimes it's just, I just don't have the energy for this, or I don't care that much about this part of the relationship. But if you're in a thriving relationship, then you really care about almost every aspect of the relationship. And if there's something important that you disagree on, or there's something important that one or the other has either hurt or disregarded, you want to talk about that. You want to talk about that. And whether it's an argument or whether it's a strong conversation, I think one of the one of the most important uh, signs of a thriving and growing relationship is the fact that there is conflict. And again, like you said, conflict does not necessarily mean a yelling match, but it does mean conversations about important things, either from within a relationship or about life in general together. And I think what we're saying is just not to fear that. It, it is not an indication of an unhealthy relationship. Right. It's quite the opposite. And... But if done right now, now, the second part of that is how do you fight, right? How do you fight? And unfortunately, you know, you can tell, I think objectively, any, I'm saying most of our listeners can probably tell when you're seeing a couple uh, fight, you can tell whether this is a fight that is based you on love. You can tell love. about the relationship full stop. Yes. yes. I, I, I don't know if I shared this, right? But, but I, we've fortunately, unfortunately, you know, uh, we've been with many couples and probably unfortunately, unless in the times when it resolved in a positive way, when they would fight. And I remember in the early, 25 years ago, in the early years when we'd be around couples like this, it would be it would be surprising. I mean, because, you know, people say the nastiest things uh, when they argue. But you can often tell, right? It can and, never be taken back, by the way. Yeah, right. Unfortunately, sometimes. Whether there's contempt in, in the argument, or you can tell whether it's based on on love and a desire to come closer. And I think, again, there's probably a lot of uh, keys to learn about both your fighting style and the way to do it in a way that's actually constructive. But used properly, conflict and argument can actually be one of the more powerful tools, opportunities to grow a relationship. And I think the first step, honestly, even before you find a style, is to try to hear what the other person is really wanting, right? Often when we're angry, we say things we don't mean. I'm not even talking about what the argument is anymore. What is the want behind the words? And that, again, does take some training and some emotional intelligence, but I think it's necessary. Reminds me of an article I read once where Oprah was um, had interviewed somebody for a position, a very high position for her magazine or for the show, and they agreed on a number of what she was going to pay him and uh, verbally, right? So then when she went to, she offered it, um, he came back and he came up with a higher number. So she said, okay. And then the third time he comes back again. And then she says, wait a second, what is this really about? Because I don't think it's about money, right? And he said to her, I just want to make sure that you want me to be here as much as I want to be here. 
Now you would never, it's just such an example of what happens in relationships because he didn't feel safe to say that he was maybe testing her or wanted to see if she would straight out say, I really want you to be here. That's what he wanted to hear those words. At the end of the day, the money at that point didn't really matter. It was already a high salary. I think that happens a lot in relationships. We have an expectation or we have a want or we have a hurt or we have an unmet need. And instead of being vulnerable and saying those things, we get really complicated or maybe we pick a fight or we find a roundabout way of doing it. So I think the first thing has to be, it's okay to just be you, flaws and all. If you chose to marry a person or you're in a long-term relationship, what's the point of the exercise? What's the point of going through all of that? If not even in this space or this place, can you be yourself? Can you actually say, I want this? Can you choose vulnerability? All of this will be uncomfortable until one day it's not. And it only becomes comfortable once you practice it over and over again. So we can give you tools and tips and how to, and I want to talk about all of that, but I think at the core of everything, it's to really say, okay, I've chosen this person to be my life partner. And if I'm in, I want to be all in. To be all in, you have to reveal the parts of yourself that are are the parts you want to hide the most. And one of the, I know you've spoken about this, is that after the conflict, after the argument, right, you have to repair. Yes. Right? And even if it's an important conversation, and 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 I hope you don't mind me mind me sharing. Well, that, I might. <laughs> <laughs> so I was actually thinking about this a lot. So I think it was like last week we had a pretty pretty significant argument. It sounds like we're arguing a lot. We don't argue that <laughs> yeah. much. Well, we we do, but we recover. Well, we don't. Quickly. We don't have serious arguments a lot. We, we have, don't have, we have serious arguments. We have important conversations, probably you know what, once every two weeks or so. And we recover very quickly. Right, right. But this was actually an argument. These we hardly. I mean, this this was like I don't know, once in every six months or so. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I want you to share this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go into too much detail. Huh. All I'm going to say, well, I'm yeah. going to say a few things. That's First true. of all, as I think back to it, and this is probably. Oh, you're going to apologize. That's so sweet. <laughs> I actually, I actually think fondly back. To do that you? argument, no. I do. Do you? Do you not? <laughs> well, not from what I heard you say at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we had. So I'm trying to remember where, where how it started. This was right. There was something. I'm not going to help you. You're not going to help me. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're gonna, we there was something. Oh, you were asking a question. I thought you were you were asking in a way that that I that I didn't like, mm. right? <laughs> You're enjoying this. Anyway, long story short, we got into a heated argument. And we went back and forth, back and forth. And I think, and again, the reality is that in order to to come back more quickly, right? It's like it's like it's like a, a muscle that if it's based upon you know real love and real respect, even if you have a, a significant argument, when you come back, it's much easier to come back from it. And I think again, so so we had that argument. It went on. I forget how long exactly. Maybe half an hour later, an hour later. We had a much uh, more uh, calm conversation about it, and I think we came to a to a good place. Uh, you heard me; I heard you. And the the what I wanted to share, and again, maybe I'm sure our listeners are probably enjoying hearing about the the argument. But for me, as I think back now about that, it's not a moment of friction in our relationship, but rather almost a loving memory. That was the time, <laughs> not for you, not for you. The time that we really, you know, went at went at each other verbally, and then we took the time. Yeah, I wasn't even that upset. By the way, it was kind of like it was a little silly. It was a little, a little, little silly. silly. Yes, but it was an argument, and it was necessary though. I, I yeah, felt I, I, I felt stronger after it. I think together. Yes, and like like I said, for me, 
probably one of the most important indications about whether you've repaired, and more importantly, whether your relationship is built on a foundation that can handle necessary conflict, is how quickly you recover. And re- and you have yeah, to I take the time to recover. Somebody asked me once, and we were giving a relationship lecture together, he said, what was the worst argument you ever had? And you know, what was it about? He always asks good questions. And the I wor- the worst argument you ever had? Yeah. And I said, I, I actually don't remember, but I remembered how we repaired from it. Like I remembered what what because I don't remember the details of it, but I know how I felt after. Right. And I felt um heard, I felt loved, I felt closer to you. I think that is the point. And the point then and it, like we said about challenges, conflict is such can be a significant force of of unification if the repair is done but the opposite is that if you don't repair it remains there as an open wound and then the next one another and one and another one and then another one so i think while certainly conflict is both a sign of a thriving relationship and two people who are growing individually and in their relationship you should think about your last argument or even your last significant argument and say, did we repair? And as I look, think back, not just at that moment or that time that we repaired it, but even as I look back to the conflict, do I remember it fondly? Because I know for me, and again, you you say from your perspective, when I think back to that argument that we had, again, I think it was last week, I, I, I like it brings a smile to my face. Right? I always feel, and I always feel closer to you after. I do. Yeah. So my surprise question to you. Oh, wait, I do yeah, want to say one okay. other thing. Yeah. Um, are we ending now? I wanted to bring up one more point. Bring a, oh, one more point. Short one. Okay. Um, because I think this is important also. I think another really key important ingredient to relationships is to have laughter and levity. And I think that you can bring that into arguments. And I, I love this example of a story from us when we were driving the kids, um, we were going to Pennsylvania to visit two of our kids in camp. Did I tell the story already? I don't think so. And sure. uh, you're gonna get to hear me sing. And I'm really gonna sing? Not really. I'm try. I'm not. You, maybe you'll do it. And it was it was it was like what a three hour drive without traffic going. It was a hot summer New York day. Drive there, and we had to go visit two different camps. And Abigail, our youngest at the time, was like three, and she gets horrible motion sickness, any kind of motion. So we discovered that the hard way when she was eight months old, and uh, and I was on a flight with her, headed to a wedding where I didn't have time to shower before, and she threw up all over me and herself. Being the good mom that I am, I had packed a change of clothes for herself, but not me. And that began the journey of Abigail's motion sickness. So when we got back in the car, right, we're grimy and sweaty and sticky and she had a spoiled diaper and she's just not happy. And then she threw up. Uh, We're hitting traffic. It's four and a half hour now drive back. And it's just like we can't get there fast enough. And I'm starting to get irritated. And of course, my irritation, I think, might have been directed to you. Mm. And I remember that sometimes sometimes we had ways on right the directions. And I remember the lady's voice was so bossy. She kept saying, turn left, (laughs) turn right. And I was like hearing her scream. Abigail's in the back. I'm getting annoyed at you for no good reason. And instead of losing it, right, and like exploding is what I felt like doing, we got really silly. And I think you, I don't know, we started playing around with the navigation, like different voices. I was like, Jane is really bossy. We got to tell Jane to be quiet. She kept telling me, like yelling at me how to turn, right? (laughs) So we found a, um, 
Justin Timberlake type boy band. Boy band that was like turn left, <laughs> turn right, and I just thought it was the funniest thing. And then we put on the Santa one that's like ho ho ho, turn right, right, and it's like singing all these things. And we just started laughing. We so we looked for a Middle Eastern one because I'm Middle Eastern and an Israeli one. I don't think we found those. But we got super silly and we avoided a fight altogether. And in fact, we changed the whole energy. There was no, I didn't feel upset anymore. And so I think that's another, like not every argument, by the way, right? has to be so serious or so heavy or so like, sometimes you just have to say what you have to say, but you can say it in a silly, light way. And also, and again, going back to the argument we had last week. You liked that one. I'll do more of this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll tell you our listeners how they go but uh, but I think I think part of what allowed us to repair relatively quickly after was the fact that even while we were arguing we were we were taking it seriously but we don't usually between us take ourselves too seriously right and and I think again the ego wants to say well what I'm thinking right now is so important I'm really angry and yes that comes out but I think we've trained ourselves, and again, none of this is for granted. You have to keep reminding yourself of this as you continue to grow. But that, you know, let's not take either each other or even the argument too seriously. It might be important, and let's let's get to the bottom of it, and then you know, let's realize that we were both silly to some extent. A thousand percent. And I also think another thing that people do—they just get so hung up on like, as I remember when we first got married, you used to. Um, Actually, I think you did this your entire life before we got married. But you would, when you would get undressed, you would just throw things on the floor. <laughs> yeah. On the floor, I think, I'd, I think I'd find a chair. No, no, here. no. That's the on point the of the story, my I friend. Don't that. Yes. Okay. okay. Everywhere. Oh, I remember it. I remember <laughs> the great, great detail. <laughs> okay. And I would get super irritated. And I think for six years I complained about this. Like six years, you please hang up your clothes, whatever. And it didn't matter to you. Like it didn't matter to you. It, just for you, it didn't matter if there was clothes on the floor. But for me. I'm really clutter really upsets me. And you realize yes. that about me now. Like I'll just get I just can't it it just hurts my feelings. So <laughs> But it's I, funny, you know, I mean I don't want to cut off your story, but but Oh, but you just yeah, did. Yes, yes. But like that that knowledge about you, that oh. would have never happened had we not forced each other to go more deeply into what was happening because I could totally, have you would never for the next do. 30 years thought oh Monica just like just just nags she's type about, a yeah. yeah but in reality there you know your personality actually when you see clutter it actually literally has a negative effect it on really you. does it really, yeah. I'm so sorry but, I wish it didn't but it really does right but knowing that it's a completely different way of coming at it anyway right and so story. you would I think that had you known that right but you did we again we didn't have that emotional intelligence this is like the early parts of our marriage but I remember when we started to really take our relationship to the next level, I decided I'm going to get a chair for the room. We didn't have a chair. Now we always have a chair in the bedroom. And I said to you, just take your clothes off and pile it up on this chair. Just put everything there. And you did. And then I said over time, I was like, and then on Friday for the weekend, just on Fridays, hang it up. Right, and you agreed. Good. And then you started to do that. So the chair had a pile of clothes and then come Friday, you would clean it up. And now you just put your clothes away. Right. And I never, I and it, it's just something that evolved because you understood what it meant to me. And I stopped nagging you and I didn't expect, right. I let you have your space. You let me have mine. I think that's a really good example of, first of all, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. And this idea that some things are just what they are, not the right. end of the world. And I think there's an additional point, which is something we touched upon before, really coming to understand each other, where we're coming from. Very important. 
right? The want behind the words. Right. So what's your question, Mr. Berg? Oh, so I was going to ask, <laughs> what what is, I was going to say, the most significant, or not some significant lesson from an argument we've had, right? doesn't have to be a significant argument, but just what was a lesson, understanding that you gained from, from an argument that we had? The one that always stands out to me, um, it was when I had a falling out with my best friend of 20 years, and I was really struggling, and you couldn't understand that because I don't think at that time, well, I know at that time, you hadn't had any friendships like that on that level. And I think, even though you never said this, I think that, well, you couldn't understand it, but I think also maybe you thought I was overreacting. I don't think you really, the deep right, pain that right, I was true, in. True. And uh, and, it, and it was such a, a big break between me and her that this feeling that I was in lasted for a few months. I mean, I wasn't always down, but it was really like a heavy wait. And I started to be really cynical about friendships. And I remember we were away and um, I went to the spa and I saw these two girlfriends chatting. And I remember thinking like, oh, you know, just wait, she's going to backstab you. Because it reminded me of me and my friend and how we used to be. And then I caught that thought and I was like, Monica, you're not going to become this bitter person. And I think I shared that with you. And I don't know, for whatever reason, and I was really crying. I like really, it was like the end. I could it was all of the pain I felt was coming out. And it was the first time you actually really felt me about this. And you kept apologizing for not understanding me sooner. And like, you held me and you hugged me. And I mean, I really just felt so understood. I'm emotional now. And I really like, and you admitted that where you were at and kept apologizing. And I just, I mean, my heart just grew even more fond and in love and, um, yeah. Yeah, and it's that's such a it's, a it's a great story. That's such an important story for me in that and I think this is true again not just in this case. I want to be helped to grow to be a better husband. So it actually excites me to realize and I realized then that I really wasn't feeling you there for you as I should have been. That's not I don't look back at that as oh, you know, that you know, I wasn't you know, I was doing something wrong. Let's, let's the ego would like to say, let's let's go past that. I, that's an exciting moment for me, right? And I think once you start off on the point, no matter how long you've been in, in hopefully a successful marriage or relationship, there's so much more for me to learn. More to learn about you. More to learn about me. More to learn about, about relationships. And I have to be open for where I know as we're sitting here today, there are things about you that I am blind to, there are things about me that you are blind to, there are things about our relationship that we're blind to, meaning places we need to change and to grow towards, and that's going to continue, hopefully, for the next hundred years, and that's exciting. I'm I think what's really special, too, about that moment, I think up until that point, and I think a lot of people do this in the relationships, you were trying to understand what I was feeling, right. of course you loved me, but you were only seeing it to the capacity or the ability of what could. you could understand. Right from your own perspective and your own experiences. In that moment, what was so profound, you really put yourself in my shoes. You really, really, even though it was foreign to you, you felt it and understood it through me. And I think that was a big shift in our relationship, for sure. It was another level. And I think that's why that one stands out so much. It wasn't just about what I was feeling or and not receiving from you, but from that point on, I think that you were able to do that. Right. And hopefully learn to do that more and more all the time. Yeah, you get some points. Yay! <laughs>
Well, my I'm... wife loves me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before we go, please continue to send in your questions, stories, inspiration um, on relationship and all other topics. And we will try to get to as many of the questions, as many as the topics um, over the next few podcasts. And um, again, as I always say this, we are overwhelmed by the amount of listeners we have to this podcast. Thank you to all of you. And uh, please continue to show your support by giving five stars on the Apple podcast, by writing reviews, by sharing this with your friends and family. And we do this because, well, we enjoy spending this time together, but also because we hope to inspire our listeners to have deeper, more meaningful relationships, thriving relationships. And when you share those stories with us, that continues to inspire us as well. So we hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as as we enjoyed recording it. And we look forward to sharing with you again next week. Bye.